Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Anya, what did we watch? We just watched The Scarlet Claw, uh, a 1944 picture that is the eighth movie in the Basil Rathbone slash Nigel Bruce series of Sherlock Holmes films. It's kind of nice to see these old friends of ours again. I know. When uh, when actually in the intro, when <laughs> Holmes and Watson appeared on the screen, I think you uh, shouted out something like, old friends. <laughs> and you wiped away a tear. I did. It was nice. We love these guys. These these movies are great. And actually, interestingly enough, according to the old Wikipedia, this is considered one of the best universal pictures. Uh, there are two non-universal pictures, and then the rest of the movies in the series were made by Universal. And this is the top-notch one. So this is as good as it gets, folks. <laughs> this is all you're getting. <laughs> this is the high watermark. And this one, uh, rather inexplicably, takes place in Canada which I felt was a little odd for many reasons, one of which was this movie takes place in the year in which it was filmed. So it takes place in 1944. Mm -hmm. And so wouldn't it be a little bit risky to take an Atlantic crossing from uh, Britain to Canada at the height of World War II? But Kevin, this is a this is a ghost murder. So, I mean, I think that takes precedence. Uh, but Anya... When Sherlock Holmes took this journey, this dangerous journey across the ocean, 
he did not know there was a ghost murder. He thought he was taking a journey <laughs> across the ocean to listen to some dumbass talk about ghosts and monsters. <laughs> he wa- he wanted to go to some like like what what's like crime con but for like dumbasses <laughs> like who believe in ghosts. Crime con. <laughs> Paranormal con. Yeah, he's basically going to a paranormal convention to be the resident skeptic. And for this, he and Watson are risking their lives to take this journey across the ocean. Sir, sir, I don't remember you taking such umbrage when Mr. Holmes went to Washington. I believe in Sherlock Holmes goes to Washington, which also took place during World War II. Didn't he use like military transport? <laughs> yeah. And, and, it was, <laughs> and it was like a case of like... Espionage that could change the fate of the world. It wasn't like, hey, do you want to hear some dumb guys talk about ghosts and monsters? <laughs> That's not what it was. Sherlock Holmes, he thinks that uh, basically debunking idiots about ghosts and uh, saving the uh, the Allied powers from Nazi interference are basically the same thing in terms of importance. <laughs> and is this is this a good use of his time during the war? Now, now, hang on just a damn second. I think, I think, maybe. Maybe there's a connection here. Maybe this is said immediately after Sherlock Holmes goes to Washington and he just kind of takes a takes a nice drive up the East Coast, right? Like we did on our honeymoon and, you know, just keeps going past the border and is like, fuck it, I'll just go to this dumb convention. I wanted to see Quebec, but I'm, okay, look it up. I'm look do it this. up. Was the previous picture Sherlock Holmes in Washington? Let's see. And of course, we drove down the East Coast. Yeah, of course. We weren't going to any dumb conventions either. Okay, no, they're, they're, these are not right next to each other, and it seems like the ones that are in between, he does go back to London. So he's just he's just really raring to go to this convention. The war between, uh, you know, Nazi Germany and England, be damned. Yeah, so what do you make of that? What does this reveal about the priorities of these two men during the height of World War II? You know what? You got to put a stop to people going on and on about paranormal entities. I mean, right? Right. The Nazis are taking over Europe. <laughs> I know, but like, they're overrunning the country. It's, like, it's just when was this movie released? But if you like let, around if, you, if you let Canadians get infected, D Day is pretty fucking important. If you let Canadians get infected by all this ghost talk, are they going to be much use if uh, the if Europe falls and then the Nazis start going after North America? They're just gonna the Nazis can just dress up like ghosts and scare them, and then they're gonna just surrender. So you got to put a, it's it's a it's a matter of national defense. So now you're slandering the Canadians. I'm just saying. <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> The Canadians are hanging by a thread. If they start believing in ghosts, they're completely worthless. They're, they're, they're going to just fall apart. So say goodbye to all of our loyal Canadian listeners. No, no. I, I like Canada. I have you, ever, have you ever been to Canada? Many times. I love Niagara Falls. Kevin's a big Canadian fan, so... I've been I've been only once because uh, we didn't get to go to cross the border because it's COVID times when we went up to Niagara Falls for our wedding. But I've been to actually I guess around where this is set because I went to Montreal and then Quebec and they keep referencing Quebec like it's the big city around them. So I'm assuming this takes place somewhere in in the province and and sort of like far flung region. But basically Quebec is gorgeous. Niagara Falls, Ontario. Gorgeous. I was last I'll there. I'll be nice and I won't say anything about Montreal. <laughs> I was last there in uh, March of uh, 2020, right before the uh, yeah. borders were closed. I don't think Canadians are ghost believers. I think that problem would be more likely to happen in America. So I was so then why doesn't, he, why doesn't he go down to uh, a, a skeptical meeting in Alabama? Say? Yeah, that would probably be more Goodbye easy. to all of our Alabama no, listeners no. now. Yeah. We're just fucking offending everyone. Meanwhile, we're in Indiana, and I feel like that would be... I feel like ghosts... Like I feel like you could get a lot of Indiana people to, to believe in ghosts. Well, I mean, we believed in the Klan in the 20s. I know. I know. That's what I'm thinking of. Jeez. Indiana's evil history coming out on this podcast about a silly Sherlock Holmes movie. But, um, no, I mean... Okay, so... We don't know why he's there, but let's let's We know why say, he's there. He's going to this stupid well, conference. We, we don't know. Maybe maybe for some reason Churchill sent him over there to like help the Canadians bolster some sort of like uh, espionage network to make sure that the Nazis aren't infiltrating. And uh, for some reason he sticks around and is like, I'm bored. I already wrapped up this case. Let me just go to this conference. Cause so you're not? positing the existence of an adventure that wasn't chronicled. An exactly. unseen movie. An unseen movie. We know, and maybe it was just so easy, he just wrapped it up immediately. Like, okay, this is the leak. This guy's a Nazi. Boom. And then they're like, well, I mean, we'll we'll put you up for the rest of the week. And he's like, okay, great. And actually, can I go to this hotel where there's this uh, ridiculous conference about ghosts? 
So you've plotted it all out. I plotted it all out. I worked it out. You're welcome. <laughs> you get a fucking no prize. Yeah, I... <laughs> a what? A no prize. That's what uh, Marvel Comics in the 1960s. You spot a mistake, and then you explain why it wasn't a mistake. You get a no prize, which was an empty envelope. <laughs> well, I will. I'll take it. <laughs> At least I got an envelope out of the deal. <laughs> um. Yeah. So basically, uh, b- before we kind of yeah, I mean this. This is interesting, though, because it's like it feels like and we'll get more into this at the end, but it does feel like there's a concerted effort to be like kind of they go to America, then they go to Canada. They're kind of diversifying, which is interesting. They really want to, like, I think, hook in viewers from North America and be like, see, we hang out in Canada, too. Do you think it was a crass attempt to get uh, more money, more audiences? Maybe, maybe. But they, 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 it's, just, it's interesting. They go to America. They go to Canada. They kind of make a big deal about being in America or Canada. It's not incidental. They so pointed out. They, do they continue that in other movies? I, I have no idea. I don't think so. I didn't even know he went to Canada ever. I mean, Sherlock Holmes goes to Washington. It's in the title. This Scarlet Claw, it's a little bit more uh, subtle. Yeah, it's not really in the title. No. What, was, it, was it made a big deal of in the marketing? Maybe. You thrilled at Sherlock Holmes going to Washington, but can you handle Sherlock Holmes going to Canada? <laughs> cut, cut to him playing hockey. <laughs> See, and the Sherlock Holmes goes to Washington, that told a story that kind of needed to be told in Washington. Sherlock Holmes and the Scarlet Claw going to Canada, this movie could have taken place in England. This movie could have definitely taken place in England, for sure. But I don't hate it being in Canada, not going to lie. Canada is so vast, you know, and, and being in a small Canadian village feels a little bit more remote than being in a small English village to me. That's funny because while we were watching it, you were just saying you hated anything said in Canada. That's not The Canadians true. were assholes and bastards, and it wrecked the picture for you. I never said such things. You're silly. You were roasting the Canadians. I was not. On our honeymoon, you refused to set foot in Canada. They wouldn't let us in. There's a COVID Because outbreak. of your record. My record? They know what you say about Canada. Of hate crimes against Canadians? I have no problem with Canadians. You're just being a silly lout. That's what I think. Is that what you think? Yeah, that is what I think, sir. Yeah. God. Um, and I think, I th- personally, I think Canada, Canada, I think Canada is a sh- crucial linchpin in our... Oh, uh... shut the <laughs> fuck up. You're no Churchill. Yeah, here's a spoiler. At the end, <laughs> Holmes gives some spontaneous speech where he's talking about how wonderful Canada is, and he's, and he's quoting Churchill. So it's like... You know, Holmes has been, this whole trip to Canada, he's been waiting for a chance to get this out of, you know, he memorized this passage about Canada. Yes. This probably isn't even the first time he's used it during the, and the trip. He, Watson just forgot the other time. And and it was, it, it, it's so, it's so forced in there. He's at Canada, the linchpin of the English speaking world, whose relations of friendly intimacy with the United States on the one hand and unswerving fidelity to the British Commonwealth on the motherland on the other. Canada. The link that joins together these great branches of the human family. And then Watson's like, uh, is that Churchill? And he's like, yeah. And then the movie ends. <laughs> yeah, the music swells. and uh... <laughs> So embarrassing. And Washington, uh, the Washington one ended that way too, where he was like, America. Da, da, da. And I was like, oh, I'm just cringing so hard. I can't even move. God. So I imagine Canadian viewers watching this movie would have that moment of total cringe as well. <laughs> I mean, it's a little. Is Canada the linchpin of the English-speaking world? Wow! Now who's anti-Canadian? It seems a little bit over the top. Wow. Okay, what would you say is the linchpin of the English-speaking world? I think I think that's a dumb premise. I think that's a dumb premise. What? What if? Like, like if so you're you, saying Churchill has a dumb premise? Yes. Winston Churchill. Yes. You're shitting on Winston Churchill now. I so am. now you're going to offend all of our audience in England. Oh God. <laughs> You're like the anti-Holmes. This is like falling apart. (laughs) You're giving all these anti-country speeches. I'm just, I don't have to, I don't have to love Churchill to be, uh, you know, to to be like okay with Canada and most people in England. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting choice of words. Perhaps we should move on. (laughs) So, so basically this opens up with... Everybody in a Canadian pub, I don't know what they're called in Canada, but I'm going to call it a pub, uh, 
doing one of those like TikTok slash Vine challenges where everyone freezes at the same time, you know, where like you move the camera around, no one's moving. I forget what that's called. I'm not I'm not Gen Z, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. They're doing that. Well, the, the, the kids do it today. They like all freeze. It's like a statue challenge or something like that. But anyways, so they unfreeze and a bunch of guys, local dudes, local working Joes start talking about things you talk about in a small town, i.e. a church bell that won't stop ran- randomly ringing, glowing lights in the marsh, and uh, mysterious sheep mutilations. So do you think that was like a reference to the uh, George Adelji case? It sounds like it. Well, uh, with the, with the, that was sheep too, right? Yeah. Yeah, sheep mutilations. Everybody. Why don't you tell us about that case? Uh, it was a young gentleman living in an English village, I believe. Um, uh, he was of Indian descent. Uh, his family was very respectable. I be- was he studying to be a barrister? Um, or Maybe. He was studying to be some sort of professional situation. I don't remember if it was barrister or not, but something like that. And the family was highly regarded in town. And uh, sheep started getting mutilated. And it was this whole controversial thing where he was accused of doing it. I don't really remember the evidence or lack thereof against him, but I do know that uh, the author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, Conan, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, um, became convinced of his innocence and wrote a lot of letters saying, you know, he should be exonerated of the charges and, and whatnot. So that that was a big controversial tale in uh, 1800s uh, England. So it was kind of uh, interesting to see that plot point uh, be used in this picture. This it's pretty creepy when I mean, like I mean, like. Uh, like you don't, no one wants cruelty to animals, right? But also, like, just the idea of someone going around doing like the what the hell, what, what do you get out of that? That's just fucked up. So I think it's something to put people on edge. And then there's always the question is of of is this person going to graduate from hurting animals to hurting humans? And unfortunately, in this story, we see that that is the case. Um, but it all dates back to sort of an old legend within the village that there's a monster that goes around glowing in the fields, killing sheep in the fields. And eventually graduating to hunting humans as well. So is it kind of a riff on uh, Hound of the Baskervilles? The most dangerous game, yes. Uh, yeah, Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, suspicious locals. You know, we, we definitely have, this movie is it sort of feels like an original tale, I think. I, I'm not sure if it's based on anything uh, that Conan Doyle wrote. I didn't recognize anything anyway. But it feels like it's riffing on a couple of themes that go through some of his work, for sure. Um, so what happens, what do, what do the villagers decide to do about the incessantly ringing church bell? What do they decide to do about it? Do you not remember? I don't remember. We just watched the goddamn film, Kevin! Pay attention! Um, we, uh, we, the, 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 the per- one of the people who's definitely skeptical that it's a ghost is the local priest who goes back to the church to figure out what the fuck is going on with the church bell. He finds a woman dead clutching the rope of the church bell so her throat has been slashed by what looks like a claw and it turns out she's not just any schmuck in town she's a refined gentlewoman she is the lady penrose they're the they're the local gentry in this town i guess and um so that's a big deal so he finds her murdered so then we cut to this uh, occult society meeting. The Royal Canadian Occult Society. Use the friggin' full name. Show some respect. Where none other than Lady Penrose's husband, I guess that would be Lord Penrose. Uh-huh. He's rambling on uh, about ghosts and monsters to an enraptured audience, which includes Holmes and Watson, who are a little bit less enraptured. Uh, Watson at one point starts rambling on and on and on, and uh, Penrose kind of rudely cuts him off. But then someone comes in with a message for Penrose, and he leaves, and he comes back, and he says, uh, well, I've got to go. My my wife's been killed. And he says it pretty much in that flat, matter-of-fact tone. Kind of like, oh, i got to go move my car. The you know, I'm in a no-parking zone by accident. So is that how you would react if you got news? Middle of one of your big speeches that uh, yeah. I'd been killed. My my famous speeches to the Occult Society of Indiana. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, uh, sorry, gotta gotta bounce. My uh, husband is uh, dead and mutilated in our home. So, see you guys later. Maybe we can do this next week. <laughs> <laughs> such love, such devotion. 
You'd probably just keep on talking. Well, I mean, you got an audience right there. You don't want to just walk away. If my wife comes comes back as a ghost, I can talk to her then. I can figure it out then. Like, well, you're dead. There's nothing I can do for you. Yeah, come on. But that audience, I got them in the palm of my hand. <laughs> I would love to hear a true crime podcaster talking about this case where they'd be like, well, we can't really judge anyone's reaction because everyone reacts differently to grief. But, you know, some people did have questions. <laughs> Lord Penrose sort of acted unemotional when uh, you heard the news from the hotel lobby boy or whatever. <laughs> The, the one thing that makes him a little bit emotional is he makes some comment to Holmes to the effect, you know, the only reason you don't believe in ghosts is because you don't have that. It bothers you too much to expand your world by thinking about such things. Right. Which is a very ironic thing for us to hear because we were literally just listening to a podcast where uh, a ghost hunter went on this whole moralizing bullshit soapbox speech where he was like, you know, some people, their minds would just be too blown to believe in ghosts and uh, would change their minds too much so they won't believe it. You know, they won't believe that my weird fake electrical box that beeps randomly, you know, when you move it too much is not not true. So you were commenting last night even on how, you know, like, <laughs> like when people are making skepticism out to be some sort of moral failing. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't believe what I believe, it's because you just don't have the uh, moral fortitude or the intellectual breath to consider what my beliefs are. I have to admit, I, I like this element of this story where Holmes is coming in as the skeptical one, skeptical of the ghosts. And, you know, we live in an era today. I mean, I guess he lives in an era literally where people bought into fascism in throughout the 1930s and it resulted in a huge disastrous world war. So I guess that's, you know, Maybe that's where that's coming from. And in our case, people are, you know, in the U.S. are bu buying into, you know, getting brain worms basically about vaccines and what, you know, world orders on Facebook from their idiot friends <laughs> and like basically making their whole personalities uh, psychotic and crazy as a result. So and it's kind of ironic because if uh, Holmes is an agent Scully who's very skeptical of the supernatural, uh, Holmes's creator, Arthur Conan Doyle was very much a Fox Mulder who was willing to believe in absolutely anything supernatural. Uh, uh, Doyle actually at one point published obviously faked pictures of girls watching fairies dance as if they were true. <laughs> the Cotting League fairy pictures. Yeah, we might all admire Sherlock Holmes as a character, but when it comes to, to intellect, I, I feel like Arthur Conan Doyle, while maybe he was smart in some respects and certainly a good storyteller was pretty much akin to your crazy aunt on Facebook who just shares whatever crazy conspiracy she finds, basically. So yeah, I, I'm not even sure if Holm, if Doyle would have appreciated his uh, character being used to tout such uh, skepticism in the supernatural. Be like, whoa, 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 let's, let's hear him out about this monster of La Rue Mort. <laughs> he came to Indianapolis once, right? Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle. There's a, a little uh, marker uh, commemorating it down at uh, an Indianapolis area hotel. They don't get. A I've lot. seen it. They don't get a lot of famous people around here, so they gotta make it, make a big hay out of it when someone comes around. Someone gets lost on the way to Chicago, ends up here. Gotta put a little statue in. <laughs> they need to put a little marker from when you first uh, set foot here. Yeah, obviously, I'm very famous. <laughs> You're beloved. I'm a beloved local figure. <laughs> You're celebrated. No. Uh, I'm no Arthur Conan Doyle, because I'm not a doofus who believes in fairies. <laughs> but Ani, fairies believe in you. Aww. Everyone clap for Tink. <laughs> okay, and, and so basically, the, yeah, so the, the news of Lady Penrose's death breaks up this charming little conference, and what happens is uh, that things are further twisted when Holmes... It's a message. This is like the next day. Holmes mm -hmm. is leaving his hotel. He and Watson are about to embark on the dangerous journey back to England after they've risked their lives to make fun of a man who believes in ghosts. <laughs> and they get a letter uh, delivered to them uh, at the hotel, which ironically enough was written by the woman who was killed the day before, Lady Penrose. And she says, I think somebody's going to kill me. Can you, can you help out? And you know, obviously they couldn't. Freaking postal service getting the thing, 
<laughs> getting things so late. But Holmes says, let's go down there and investigate. He says, ha ha, isn't this pretty rich? We're being retained by a corpse. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> laugh like that. He's not a, he's not a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> Watson and he starts, like rubs his hands together. Watson starts backing Watson, away. Watson, away. <laughs> Because he knows what it's like when Holmes gets like that. Yeah, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> no, he's very calm and respectful. Not having you, not having you slander in Basil Rathbone. <laughs> um, they show up at Lord Penrose's home, and keep in mind that like they were fighting basically during the conference. Like they were not like not like fist fighting or anything, but like that kind of snippy British fighting where they're kind of like da 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 da, like you know like. It was not an amicable exchange of ideas at this royal occult society thing. So they go to the guy's house. Break in. Yeah, they, they, they go ahead and walk in, and they walk into where he is spending a contemplative moment alone with the body of his recently deceased wife. <laughs> a very private, very special moment between a man and the last time he'll ever see his beloved uh, wife, his one true love, his soulmate, they just kind of blunder in. As Ni- as Nigel Bruce says, it's devilish awkward. <laughs> and so Penrose quite sensibly wants them to leave. Yep. Go and take your... Uh, Assistant with you. And your little dog, too. And, and like, let me just say, I feel like the next ten minutes of the movie... Is just them refusing to leave and going different places in the house. Like if you've ever tried to tell like a toddler what to do, sometimes they'll just like go into a different room or they'll just, you know, they'll do the opposite. That's basically these two guys right now. You're saying you came into my home uninvited, leave, and they're like, okay. And then they sneak into another room and then you find them and you say, leave again. And then they go and talk to the butler. I mean, it's like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> they keep showing up in this guy's house throughout the movie. <laughs> Then when Penrose gets distracted before they leave, they immediately sneak back to go take a peek at the dead woman's body. Devilish awkward. And Holmes actually recognizes her. Who is she? She's old Lillian Gentry, a top actress of her time who mysteriously disappeared, never to be heard of again. Then they basically go and talk to the uh, sergeant, the local sergeant who is investigating her murder. Oh, would, meanwhile, but but Penrose Penrose sees his dead wife with her slash throat and everything, and is like, "This must have been a ghost. This confirms my thinking." <laughs> Folks, you can't arrest a ghost. Just, I guess this this is just gonna have to. <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck? Can you, can you imagine if like some rich guy today had his wife murdered and then went to the press and was like, "Yeah, it sucks, but I think it was a ghost." <laughs> Nancy Grace would be freaking out on TV. <laughs> They'd have a field day. <laughs> field day. <laughs> Eccentric millionaire's wife dead. Must be ghosts, <laughs> he says. Somehow it would become politicized, and then you have crazy people being like, you know, more more money f- to solve ghost crimes <laughs> online. <laughs> Fund the ghost police. <laughs> Defund the ghost. Defund the the ghost police. I but uh, people would be arguing about it. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not coming down either way. No, you take take out a position, babe. I don't know. I you, mean, f- it, you've ignited this debate with I your mean, fiery rhetoric. It, it it feels like if ghosts are going around killing people, maybe something should be done about it. Maybe public resources should be spent on that. Is that really what you want your position to be? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just being stupid. <laughs> um, but, you know, don't worry. Th- things seem pretty heavy with all these ghost murders so far. But uh, Watson gets to hold a big rifle in the police station, point it at the ceiling, and start rambling on about how he wants to shoot prairie chickens. What What are prairie chickens? I don't fucking know. I'm not Canadian. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they're not real. And, like, the everyone, all the Canadians are just nodding like, yeah, you know, those are, you know... Those are out on the prairie if you want to go there. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the sergeant doesn't know what, what what's going the on. Greater pa- I'm looking at Wikipedia. The greater prairie chicken is also known as a pinnated goose. <laughs> Some kind, sometimes called a boomer. A boomer goose? 
A boomer goose? Boomer goose. Oh, my God. It's a large bird in the grouse family. <laughs> That's a perfect bird for Watson. A grouse? A boomer grouse? A boomer goose grouse. <laughs> He's grousing around for boomer geese. <laughs> Don't you feel like he'd get hit in the face by a boomer goose and then like be complaining about it at the local pub? That that feels like that would just encapsulate his character. It's, it's now basically endangered. Oh, good it... job, Watson. <laughs> Fucking Jesus Christ. He shows up for a few days and the boomer goose is, is on a death's doorstep. <laughs> he is a one man ecological disaster. Fucking Watson. Fucking Watson, man. Fucking Watson. We love him. Uh, they go, so yeah, Then the next they go, uh, Watson and Holmes need a place to stay, so they go to this charming, ominous little Canadian B&B, uh, which, uh, you know, it, where, Watson, <laughs> where Holmes signs for both him and Watson, because apparently Watson doesn't know how to spell his own name. And they were checked in by the innkeeper's daughter. Like maybe 16, 17. She seems very sad, recently been weeping. And she explains that it is because her father is about to leave her. And then Holmes says to Watson, well, would you be upset if your father were to leave you? And Watson seems to be kind of crying slash whimpering as they go up the stairs to their rooms, talking about how his dad died a few years ago. (laughs) So that's a little upsetting. Holmes making Watson cry over his dead dad. Is that really what happened? That's what I heard. Maybe I just black. Is that what happened? Wasn't he going on and on about his dad on the way up the stairs? Half the time that Watson talks, I can't even understand him. That's fair. That's fair. Sometimes I'm just filling in my words with my imagination, I feel like. Because it'll be like, <laughs> like what the f- we need like fucking Watson like captions like to just come up whenever he's talking. Sometimes he's very clear and he's really enunciating. And then other times it's like he's kind of riffing in the background and you're kind of the, the audio is not I couldn't quite really, I couldn't really, I could not really hear what he was saying. I'm not positive he was crying about his lost father. Other, other, other people are going to watch this and be like, what the fuck was she talking about? He's talking about the prairie chickens again. That's why I just want to introduce a note of ambiguity. We're not going full throttle beat behind the idea of Watson weeping. Well, that's my headcanon, so <laughs> that's just for me. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Uh, but then we... Uh... We meet a few of the local regulars, uh, most notably a clumsy singing postman, you know, along with the innkeeper and Lord Penrose, you know, there are people you kind of keep seeing in the village and whatnot. Um, but the innkeeper is kind of a, a lout because uh, Watson and Holmes actually walk in on him hitting his daughter because she made the mistake of telling them that he was going to go away. And Watson's yelling at him about how corporal punishment is wrong. And I'm like, what a king. This is why we love Watson. You know, he's, he's a bumbler, but he knows what's right. His heart's in the right His place. His heart's in the right place. He's not putting up with this shit. Um, but 
Yeah, they have this kind of weird interaction with this innkeeper guy. They don't know why he's acting so sketchy. They don't know why he's about to flee town just because they showed up. In-universe, Watson and Holmes are like famous investigators. So if they show up in your tiny little Canadian village, you know shit is about to go down. And it's not just prairie chicken shit. It's like real shit. So they're internationally recognized in-universe? That's what it seems to be. They're like, oh my god, I really admire your work. So in-universe, it is Watson the chronicler? Does in, he write yeah. stories? Yeah, he. it seems like he... So this guy? Yeah, he's a storyteller. He's a born storyteller. He, he's not he's not articulate when he's talking, but when he's writing, he sings. Jeez. The words sing off the page. Okay, I'm just not flat I'm just not flat footed by that. But don't worry, you'll get back on your feet with some hot Watson shaving action back in the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and Holmes actually has an assignment, a solo assignment for Watson. What is it? He wants Watson to go down to the drinking area of the establishment. And mingle with the local townspeople in an inconspicuous fashion. And Watson says, oh, that means you want me to take over the case, eh? Well, that's no problem. And he just kind of uh, goes down there and uh, starts drinking. He quickly becomes uh, <laughs> hopelessly intoxicated. And he starts rambling incoherently about the Father Brown mysteries. Which is humorous. Uh, Father Brown mysteries is a series by G.K. Chesterson. Chesterson. Blah, blah, blah. G.K. Chesterton. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And he's, uh, it's a priest and he uh, solves mysteries and he uses uh, intuitive reasoning. Sherlock Holmes famously uses deductive reasoning. What's the difference? I mean, I, I'm going to explain it poorly. I think the difference is generally, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think the difference is that deductive reasoning is, is comes from, uh, observations uh like real world fact observations like you have your tie is askew you know you have uh worry lines on your eyes you know you've you've bitten your nails down to the quick like you you have a a mottled red face like you're an alcoholic and you're taking all those things and putting them into um using them to highlight real world facts to tell you about something or someone right so what does Father Brown do? How is his approach different? Father Brown uses his intuition. He's not uh, he's not looking at like what kind of mud is on your shoes to indicate whether you're going through the marsh or going through just a puddle in the city. He's he's using he's almost using his imagination to put himself into the mind of the person who does a crime and then kind of going from there. So is he like a profiler? He's almost like, a, it's almost like criminal profiling. Yeah. You know, he's like, what would I, what would I do if I were trying to steal this thing or like kill this person? They're good stories. I enjoyed them, but they're, they're different. Some people go back and forth about, you know, which, which is better. Or what about you? Uh, I think they're both cool. <laughs> I just like mystery stories. Which do you think is most often, which method do you feel is most often used by real world law enforcement? Um, well, I think it just depends on what kind of case it is, but I mean, like, there's definitely room for both intuitive deduction and, you know, deduct, or rather intuitive reasoning and deductive reasoning, because if you're, you know, you, you need to, you might need in a case to kind of make some sort of leap of imagination in order to go a certain, go the correct path. So you might be looking of like, you know, this person was stabbed really violently and somebody put a blanket over their head afterwards. That speaks to somebody who knew the person, was passionate about killing about them, but then kind of felt bad and wanted to cover them up. So that's, you're using your intuition. It could be that you're dealing with a stranger serial killer who that's his MO, but typically you're going to be looking for somebody who knew the person. Um, but then again, you know, the deductive stuff, maybe you're, you know, you're finding fingerprints. So I think they should probably just both complement one another rather than one or the other. If you just entirely use intuition, then you're liable to, you know, potentially come to the wrong conclusion because, you know, you're just kind of going about what's, you know, usually the case. Deductive stuff, maybe you're not putting the pieces together enough. You're just looking at the basic facts. So marrying them together feels like probably a good way to live your life or solve crimes. Would you like to see like a buddy cop movie with uh, Father Brown and Holmes? That would be wild. <laughs> That would be fun. Yeah, I, I 
I I would dig that. Who are the other big ones? I guess Perot. The Perot and Holmes wouldn't get along. <laughs> talking about Ross Perot. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'd like, Agatha. To, see, I'd like to see that. I'm talking about picture. Hercule. <laughs> Top detectives, detective buddy stories. <laughs> okay, wh- who do you think would be the, the the best buddies? Like just to hang out with each other. I don't know. You tell me. Do you think like Perot and Holmes would like enjoy one when another's they company? Kind of, when they kind of squabble, because isn't Perot kind of finicky? I think it says something about Holmes that he wants his friend to be someone who is so intellectually beneath him. I think that says something about his ego. I don't think he'd want to be friends with someone who is close to being a peer. But see, babe, what you're you're basing that off of the Nigel Bruce portrayal, which we could probably argue is not necessarily uh, completely fair to the Conan Doyle stories. In the Conan Doyle stories, Watson is not an intellectual giant, but he's intelligent. He's a successful physician who is also a soldier. He seems highly competent. He doesn't always get to the conclusion. I mean, he, he doesn't get to the conclusions of the cases before Holmes does, but he's able to understand them and bounce ideas, intelligent ideas off of him throughout the process. So that's helpful. It's, is he a successful doctor? It feels like he's always neglecting his practice to go running off with Holmes. Wouldn't you? <laughs> So he's not that successful. And how, if you're a successful doctor, do you need to room with somebody else in order to make your rent? How do you, how do you, okay, for, well, first of all, I don't think doctors made as much money back then, but how do you say he's not successful? I mean, he, he opens his own practice at some point. Like he keeps coming back to his friend at some point because that's more fun. But doesn't he, doesn't he say in the stories that he neglects his practice too much because of his friendship with Holmes? But like that might just be self-deprecation. You know, I mean, he seems to be, he seems to be doing just fine. He's getting stories published in the Strand. I mean, that's that's that all sounds like a pretty good life. So you, you claim that he is a, a bright man, so it, it doesn't reflect badly on Holmes. No, yeah, I don't think it does. If if he was the Nigel Bruce character in the stories, then then I see your point. But that's just because they're using those like nineteen forties tricks of like, what if we had this character fall down the stairs? <laughs> you know, like that was what passed for humor back then so what about Holmes and like Sam Spade oh god <laughs> that would be wild I, I don't think they would like each other either <laughs> Holmes and the Continental Op <laughs> I think Holmes has to be with Watson I think that's the lesson from all this but anyway, back to the pub scene. Uh, you have the local postman going on about different kinds of monster monsters. <laughs> it reminded me. He literally was like, witchcraft, vampires, werewolves, ghosts. <laughs> it reminded me of that Jay-Z verse from the song Monster, where he's like, Sasquatch, Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness, Goblin, Ghoul, a zombie with no conscience. Question, what do all these things have in common? Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster, which is like a terrible verse. <laughs> For so many reasons, but I was like, was he, was Jay-Z watching Scarlet Claw when he wrote that? <laughs> He's like, that postman's on to something. <laughs> and then we learned that Holmes wanted Watson to go down to the bar just to distract him because Holmes wanted to go take a walk in the marsh by himself. Sort of like when you drop your kid off at daycare so you can go do your job. He just wants a, a few moments alone. That's basically it. Actually, it's because he he worries that there's some sort of danger out there in the marsh. He doesn't want to subject Watson to it, which is also odd because one of the one of the uses of Watson in the narrative is that he's the guy who's always armed, the guy you can rely on, the gun nut. <laughs> so why does he leave him behind? But he does. If you were working with Nigel Bruce, the Nigel Bruce Watson. You know, I'm like, I love this man, but this man is not going to help me in a bog murder situation. I better leave him with his friends at the pub. Why would you be working with Nigel? Because <laughs> he's delightful. Because <laughs> we love him. That's why. <laughs> love. What does Nigel Bruce do when he finds out that Watson, when he finds out that Holmes is taking a solitary walk through the potentially dangerous marshy bog? Well, yeah, and at this point, the sergeant has told him that, you know, Holmes is out doing that. And also the church bell is ringing again, so everyone's freaking out. Watson runs out. Meanwhile, some shit goes down in the marsh. 
It's uh, uh, there's no other way to say this other than some pixie Peter Pan Tinkerbell bullshit, basically. Because what we are subjected to as the audience is a giant is a person shape that's just completely glowing, running at homes in the marsh. I does, is that is that what we saw, or did I just black out? Th- that actually is what we saw. That is what we saw. Just fucking giant Tinkerbell running at homes, just a big glow. It looks ridiculous. Uh, and Holmes, he, he he takes a page out of Captain Hook's book and just starts shooting at it. He doesn't ask questions. It's just running at him. I mean, like it's a little intimidating, but it's not. It's not doing anything. It just you see it so running. So what, what would you do? You just wait to have a chat with it? I don't know. I would probably I would probably start shooting at it too. But it just feels like he he doesn't look freaked out. He just like coldly pulls out a gun and it's like bang bang bang. The thing starts running away. <laughs> and it uh, leaves a piece of itself on a tree. Piece of its shirt, actually. A whole arm. <laughs> and and then Holmes starts hearing Watson's voice coming out of nowhere. Actually, the bl- glowing blob was Watson. He killed him. His best friend, unfortunately. <laughs> he just dipped himself in some neon glowing ink and, and run, ran out to Holmes to surprise him. That's why this is remembered as the best picture. It has a very <laughs> tragic uh, finality to it. Very dark. And I always, frankly, I, I like it when a franchise has a final movie that wraps everything up in a way that there can be no sequels. I thought this was very daring. <laughs> <laughs> you just see finally Holmes walking out into the marsh while 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 Watson while Watson's last words don't worry old sport go in his head. <laughs> it's almost uh, reminiscent of the final scene of the third man. <laughs> Holmes walks away, the zither music is playing. Talk about Harry Lime Green. <laughs> Cause like the the glow is lime green. No. Never mind. It's black and white, so I guess we don't know what color it was. No, we don't. <sighs> now, what really happened? Uh, Watson just kind of fell down. He fell in a bog. And and Holmes actually sounds exasperated when he says, Goodness gracious! <laughs> you just see Watson's head sticking out of the bog. Can you imagine if you were running? When you were walking in the bog and you saw that? Hello! <laughs> a British man with a mustache and a bowler looking at you. Just his head. God. And uh, and then Sherlock says he's going to get Watson out of his wet clothes and into a hot tub. That's kind of funny. And he does that. And I guess we next see Watson covered with blankets with his feet in a hot tub. And he's coughing and drinking some sort of tea or something. And Holmes says, I have a very important job for you to do, Watson. Go to bed. Go the fuck to sleep. It's embarrassing. This is a grown adult man. And meanwhile, uh, Penrose sniffs around and Sherlock acts like he doesn't know what's going on. And it's like, I guess it might be ghosts. You know, basically, he's just blowing the guy off. Finds out that the shirt fabric belongs to a retired judge who has suffered uh, a stroke and now lives with a dog and a housekeeper. Savage dog who... Uh, Watson refers to in the morning as good Fido. <laughs> so they go pay a call on this judge. And find out that he's not as disabled as he claims to be. He can walk fine. He's a, a guy Caballero situation. Who? The president of SCTV. He just used a wheelchair for respect. <laughs> Wait, as a, as a joke for the series? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's just pretending so he can defend himself better. Because he has, like Lady Penrose, has a feeling that someone's going to kill him, but he doesn't know why. And he says that he actually gave away some shirts of his to a guy who was doing work on his house, but he doesn't remember the dude. You do that all the time. Yeah, I'm always giving away my clothes to random people. It's a real problem. <laughs> now, Kevin Greenley. It really is. <laughs> Why I oughta. <laughs> Sherlock, Watson, and the sergeant track down the guy who did work for him. And they it's in this old abandoned hotel. And the dude uh, is, is this creepy dude living in this abandoned building. 
Watson screams out, Holmes, look, the monster, because the, the glowing shirt is in the guy's closet. And the dude actually jumps out a window to escape. And uh, the sergeant and Watson are jubilant over the guy's death and want to go out drinking. But Holmes is less convinced that the uh, murders are going to end. We're in, we're in the end game now. Folks. We're in the end game. We know who did it. It was this guy. But we don't really know why he did it. Take us home. So basically, the guy... Holmes pieces together that the guy was a great actor named Alistair Tanner, and he murdered another actor in the company that he and Lillian Gentry belonged to, and uh, he went to jail for that. Uh, he later was in jail, escaped. He was he was sentenced by ju- the judge, and he escaped, and he's been on the run ever since, and he's getting his revenge now by, you know, faking a bunch of sheep mutilations and acting like the monster is killing all these people. And uh, Holmes knows that he's crazy. He's a grievance collector and he's going to strike again. Um, and he finds out that he might strike again sooner than later when uh, the judge calls him up and says, oh, don't worry, I locked up my dog and opened all the doors and windows. <laughs> like you said, Sherlock. And Sherlock's like, I didn't tell you to do that. Lock up again. Um, and this actually results in a genuinely creepy moment in the film, I thought. What moment was that? I don't know if you were creeped out by it, but I was. Um, you see somebody who looks like it's the housekeeper, got a hair up in a bun, wearing a dress, is moving slowly, locking all the windows. Sherlock Holmes goes to knock on the door, and uh, the judge tells the housekeeper to get it, and then... The person turns around. You can't really see their face. Their face is in darkness and begins slowly moving towards the judge, moves behind the chair, and slashes his throat while Holmes is banging on the door locked outside. It was creepy. I thought that was creepy. I thought that was effectively done. It was pretty creepy. Yeah. Because it's, it's subtle. It's not It's not doing the whole, like, dun, dun. Like, it's just, you can, you can sound, you're like, is that? the housekeeper and you're not sure and then they're moving towards you and you're like oh shit so well done scarlet claw for getting in an actually slightly creepy moment here um but so holmes decides that he's gonna go back to the old creepy hotel um because he figures the guy might go back there to get another disguise and he gets held at gunpoint by the murderer whose face you can't really see it's in the darkness um, and the guy explains, you know, he confirms that he is this actor, he is on this quest for revenge, and that his last person that he's going to kill is the innkeeper. Because the innkeeper was actually a prison guard a few years ago, and that he developed a hatred for him, so he's going to kill him next. Um, and uh, he's going to kill Sherlock too, because he came too close to the truth. But who who steps in, quite literally steps in to save Sherlock? Watson is going up the steps to where Sherlock is being held, and he steps through one of the steps in a blundering fashion, creates such a racket that uh, the villain runs off. (laughs) Just as he was about to reveal some critical information. See, bumbling can save lives. Uh, But but, uh, when Sherlock tells him that it's great Alistair Ransom, a great actor of our time, (laughs) Watson's like, never heard of him. (laughs) Um, and meanwhile, they've heard that, uh, uh, the innkeeper has actually disappeared. That's not good. Uh, we cut in on a bunch of Canadians singing a bar song. Kevin's tapping his feet all the while, (laughs) getting into the music. And then we uh, come to, uh, uh, Marie, uh, the innkeeper's daughter has actually been murdered by the guy with the scarlet claw. So she's a casualty in all this. And Sherlock is, feels bad for not preventing it. And I was like, but like also her dad sort of ditched her while the, while he knew there was like a murderer going around town. So that was kind of a dick move. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wouldn't you assume that like a mad killer trying to kill you would maybe try to kill your family too? Well, I don't know. Would, would you, if you were being targeted and you wanted to protect your family, maybe the move is to get away from your family so the killer can get you and not harm your family. I, I don't think that would be... This guy's a mad killer. He's willing to kill anybody, and he, he knows that your daughter might know where you are. So if you were going to be stalked by a mad killer, you just like make sure I was always right in front of you? I would just uh, ship you in a big box off to Canada or something. <laughs> 
or send you down to the pub to to hang out with the local rowdies. <laughs> They'd protect you. <laughs> Um, so at this point, Sherlock pieces out for a while. Uh, what Watts, does he do? Watts, he pieces out. Okay. Sherlock pieces out. Okay. For a while. Uh, Sherlock bounces and Watson is uh, complaining that he actually enjoys making me miserable. <laughs> and he's very rude um, because he, uh, you know, he's he's not hanging out with him. He's going investigating the case. Uh Holmes figures out that the innkeeper is at the dead judge's house because that seems like a good idea. And um, they they tell him his daughter's dead to convince him to come back. He, he doesn't seem that upset about his daughter dying. Not a lot of really great acting in this. You know, you'll be like, like, Kevin, your wife is dead. Oh, well, I guess I better go home. See you guys later. <laughs> just, just pretty casual reactions. Uh, how would you react? Wouldn't you be crying? Let's see. Let's see. I'm not gonna. No, 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 no. No. Get into character. Okay. Anya, Kevin is dead. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what emotion! Ah, <laughs> oh, shucks. Ah, oh, nuts. I better go take care of that. He always messes up everything. Ruins my day. <laughs> um. But now it's time for the real climax, and uh, they make this whole song and dance about uh, the the Jonay, the innkeeper, going away, and uh, then who is revealed? Uh, you know, he's he walks through the marshes, and they they're setting it up so that the killer can stalk him. So who is the killer in this? Who reveals themselves to be the heinous murderer? The postman. Ah, it's always the postman. It's always the fucking postman. Just a menace to side. In, in fairness, this guy wasn't really a postman. The actor killed the real postman when he first passed his civil service exam and took his place in the village because I guess he's really doing a long con here. The postman isn't the only person who turns out to not be who you think he is. Oh, the person that uh, Holmes was disguising himself as the innkeeper. Yeah. So they get into a big fight in the marsh. Uh, they, you know, Holmes is able to, you know, get him to back off and then... Uh, the postman runs away into the marsh while you cut into all these people scowling at him as they as they come closer and closer. But the one to actually dispatch this evil man is a Lord Penrose, the, the ghost hunter dude. Uh, he he drowns him in a river and then scratches his throat out with uh, the scarlet claw, uh, the sort of tool that resembles a claw, and, and he uh, he you know, avenges his wife. Where's Watson during all this? Oh, <laughs> oh you know where he, yeah. So uh, they finally kill the guy and everyone comes back, regroups. And then Holmes is worried about Watson. Where was he killed by the postman during this melee? And nope, don't worry. He's <laughs> he's just back in the bog with his head sticking out, looking like a total idiot. One last indignity. One final indignity. Kevin said, <laughs> and then we get into the, that's basically the, the yeah. Picture. Holmes's Canadian, uh, you know, circle jerk about how great Canada is, and then we we end the film. Uh, what what did you think of this one, Kevin? Uh, it probably is the best of the Universal movies. Certainly, it's the best of the ones we've seen so far. Like, it's not a perfect film. It's certainly no, not. It's a not per- a perfect, film. and it's not a perfect mystery. But good production values, yeah. reasonably good acting. I would say the atmosphere was pretty incredible. I really like that. I mean, they got like a lots of mist and stuff, and like yeah, it looks kind of cheesy, but I I like that kind of shit. Um, I I liked the. It felt like it had a good balance of like suspicious locals to kind of big house spooky house stuff because I feel like uh, the House of Fear had too much spooky house stuff and not enough like like you, like you gotta have a good balance, right? It's a good recipe. But you gotta have a good balance of those two elements, and this seemed to really go back and forth of like people meeting in a pub and talking about stuff, and then going out to spooky houses and figuring out what's going on. So it it it, it had good pacing. The flow seemed pretty good. I really enjoyed Holmes's skepticism about the ghost stuff and sort of like kind of having you know having to dispel like everybody's almost kind of lackadaisical about the actual crimes because they're just like, well, a ghost did it. So he's having to kind of cut through that to make stuff happen, which I liked. 
So overall, what would you say? I think it's the best one so far that we've seen of the Universal Pictures. And and I think you summed it up aptly. We saw The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which is a pre-Universal picture. And you said that was good enough to be dull. And I think that's true. It was good. <laughs> but like it did, like the g- nice thing about the Universal Pictures is that they're usually at least completely zany. So you can enjoy them, you know. That one was like too good. It wasn't good enough to be really good, but it was good enough to be kind of just blah. But this one was, I'd say this one was a good mystery thriller for the 40s. You know, just kind of fun romp. But with some, I mean, like I've never, I've never been creeped out during a Sherlock Holmes movie. And this movie at one point creeped me out. And I think that's a win. I guess I'll give my five star final take before the audience starts clawing their eyes out. <laughs> um, so I would say when it comes to the crime of being an entertaining yarn, I can say that the Scarlet Claw has been caught red handed. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.